sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Tuesday, January 12th. Let's cock-a-doodle-do it. This is the early line right here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. I'm the spitting statistician, Dane Martinez. And as always, I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, burning the candle at both ends, trying to give you all the information you need to make it a profitable day. And fundamentally, we'll try to put the fun and functional sports content at the same time. Big shout-out to all of our affiliates. So many ways to listen, so many ways to watch and get the winning edge right here on SportsGrid. We especially welcome our new audience Sirius XM radio channel 204 and Kev if you are listening this morning you probably didn't have a lot of sleep because you were watching the national championship game last night and we were talking about this Kev like how could this game go over how could these prop bets actually be valid for all these Alabama guys well four four and a half hours later Alabama roll tide they are the 2020 national champions and they rolled the Buckeyes with the most points ever as you see right now for a squad they take out the Buckeyes 52 to 24 and oh yeah Kev if you add those two together you get 76 over the number we were talking about yesterday yeah, I mean, the over was an absolute dream. And the, and the crazy thing about it is because we talked a lot about that clean ride. I wouldn't even yeah. say you had a clean ride. <laughs> they still got there. Like, they really didn't because that first Alabama drive takes up a full seven minutes and then a little bit more and ends with a field goal on the two-yard line. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Now, luckily, the first half had no less than one billion points, uh, which made right. the requirements for that second half uh, a lot lighter and uh, allowed you to kind of get where you needed to go. Uh, but this was a game uh, that you saw one offense just be an unstoppable machine as they were all year. And the other side of the ball, they brought enough to the party, uh, but not enough to be competitive, certainly not enough to cover that number. And you look at this Alabama team, and I think this is maybe the highest compliment that you can give them when you consider that. A lot of times you have recency bias, but LSU, I mean, it was just last year. I mean, it was literally uh, Joe Burrow, greatest offense season. in college football history. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, but like it was, right? Like Burrow, Jefferson, Jamar Chase, yeah. and like, and then on the defensive side of the ball, like Delpit and Fulton are draft picks. Derek Stingley Jr. is like the greatest corner college football has ever right. seen. And he's still balling out at LSU. I mean, we're a, a year removed. And the other day, the question was posed to me this year's Bama team or last year's LSU team. The fact that I can't answer that is out of this world. And I might even lean towards this year's Alabama team. And it was almost perfectly done, Dane. And when you go through, right, that offensive MVP, it really it, it played out almost the same way as the whole Heisman, right? Mac Jones, yeah. 
under any normal circumstance, wins the award. It goes to Devonta Smith, though, because he has a ridiculous game of 12, 2, 15, and 3. And then Najee Harris is pretty much forgotten about, despite over 150 total yards of offense and three total touchdowns. Yep. No, it's absolutely crazy. You know, what I think about here when you talk about you know comparing with last season as we welcome in the rest of our radio audience in big shout out to the mightier 1090 so many ways like i am saying to listen to watch and get the winning edge here on the grid again i am dane martinez with my main man kevin walsh the candle burner looking at this alabama crimson tide the national champions of 2020 you know what i when you compare it to say last year's lsu and how every year is like the greatest of all time kind of team it reminds me of things like hurricanes in this country right how like every two months we're hearing a once in a generation storm that's coming our way you know but we have hurricane season these days and how they just keep on getting more and more intense i think that's just the evolution of college football on some level but you're right mac jones we were talking about his prop bet he goes over it by a hundred yards. He throws for five touchdowns. Remember, Kev, when we were literally joking about like that, you know, Devontae Smith and Najee Harris were minus money to score multiple touchdowns? Well, the real thing yeah. you should have gone was in the market to score three touchdowns, Kev, because they both did. You know what I mean? So the books clearly still knew what they were doing. On the other side, I want to ask you. Would this game have been any different if Trey Sermon didn't leave, like, literally in the first drive? You know, he was their horse. This is a guy that was over 500 yards rushing. I'll say that again. 500 yards rushing in the Buckeyes' last two games. And if they were going to ever be able to kind of control the narrative a little bit, they needed Trey Sermon, and he got banged out real early. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the game is more competitive if Trey Sermon was there again, he didn't just, it was the first play, like the first yeah. play of the game, Trey Sermon exits. And that is obviously very unfortunate for Ohio state. I think when you watch it, would have changed the outcome, but no, no, I, but, it, but, it, but it's, it's fair to acknowledge. And I think the thing for Ohio state though, right. Is the defensive side of the ball was as hopeless as we thought they were. It, it, that's what it, and that's what it came down to. They forced one punt in the first half and one more in the second half when Bama was just not playing and that big turnover. They, they stopped them three times and each time felt like this incredible victory. Where that, And that's why they needed Sermon to see if they could just score every single time. Forget bleeding the clock. They just needed a score almost every yeah. time. Ohio State had too many three and outs. Yeah, absolutely. You know now what we think. When we come back, we bring in our guy Joe Lisi to see what he thinks about the championship game. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
Welcome back, everybody, right here to the early line. I'm Dane Martinez. We got my main man, Kevin Walsh, burning the candle to make us profitable. And when we talk college football, we go for the two with our guy, Joe Lisi from Sports Grid. So we had to have him on to kind of debrief the national championship. We bring in Joe Lisi now. How does it feel for you, Joe? Like, I, like this is the end of the college football season. What does a guy do, you know, when you are so plugged into the uh, college football? I know you care about the NFL and all sports but this kind of has to be like the last day of school for you on some level right joe how you doing brother man i'm doing great great game last night guys i mean it's the most exciting and the most depressing time of the year right national championship game now we turn our attention to spring ball and then the 2021 season i take a a brief step back and then i start watching uh, uh you know the games that transpired this past season and break down the preview for the upcoming year guys all right, fair enough. So let me ask you, what did you think of this game? I mean, Kevin and I, when we were previewing it, you know, I, I got to be honest with you, Joe. I was on the side of, wow, these numbers are almost out of whack. The total in the mid-70s, it goes over it. The prop bets for Mac Jones, it goes over it. The ridiculous touchdown market for guys like Devontae Smith, guys like Najee Harris, and they, like, either achieved it or went over it. Can you tell me, put into context for me, Joe, this 2020 Alabama offense? Yeah, I, I heard you talking about it in the previous segment. It resembles the 2019 LSU team, just complete dominance in terms of the SEC this year. They won their games by 29.4 points per game, dominated a good Ohio State team, but this game was won in the trenches. As much as we make a, a, an assessment about Devontae Smith and Najee Harris and all those skilled players, this game was won by the dominance of the offense and defensive line played by the Alabama Crimson Tide. And really, that's what separates the SEC from the other Power Five conferences. One of the best Nick Saban coach teams that I've seen over the past decade, guys. Joe, I'm curious, do you think that we're in a situation where it might be a yearly tradition that we got a, another team that feels like they are going to shatter this sport we go back three years, it was Lawrence in his freshman year, and they ran Alabama off the field, and it's Amari Rodgers and T. Higgins and Travis Etienne. And then the following year, it's Burrow, it's LSU, it's one billion touchdowns, it's Justin Jefferson, it's Jamar Chase, it's everything under the sun, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And now this Alabama team, maybe better than the two previous national champions, Devonta Smith might be a top five pick. Jalen Waddle might be better than Devonta Smith. Najee Harris, RB1. Mac Jones, I don't know what more he could do to play himself into at least the first round conversation, if not higher. Is it going to become, is it commonplace like that where each year's national champion is just going to keep resetting the bar for what we get from these teams? Well, that's what happens when you get top five talent across the board, you know, Kevin. I mean, the one team that's been able to reload each and every year consistently, right, from the start of the decade through the end of the decade has been the Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, Clemson yeah. was able to do it with Dabo Sweeney and go toe-to-toe -to -toe because they had the type of quarterback, Deshaun Watson. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence. But I think when you look at the dominance of the offense and defense line play by Alabama mm – -hmm. 
that's where I think it's very difficult to really replicate you know, the, the type of production that they've had. Now, LSU was able to do it because they get that type of talent. As much as right. you want to complain about, you know, the old Les Miles coaching and, and Ed Ogeron, from a physicality and a, and a recruiting aspect, the one team that actually resembles uh, Alabama internally is LSU. So until you can do that, I think it's next man up, and Alabama has a great chance, along with Ohio State and Clemson, to crack the college football playoff again, when you get top 10 talent and, and elite athletes at every position, it's very hard to really replicate it if you're a top 25 program such as Cincinnati that we talked about earlier in the year. Hey, uh, Joe, let me ask you this. We're talking a lot about that Alabama side and how that was won a lot in the trenches. You know, Ohio State was down to starting defensive linemen in this one, a lot of starters because of the COVID protocols. But let's talk about Ohio State here. You know, they went, they lose Trey Sermon very early on in the game. Justin Fields throws for less than 200 yards. Talk to me about the Ohio State side. I know you think they're one of these blue chip programs that can get right back there, but what, what will it be like without potentially Justin Fields? Ryan Day is also being talked about as a head coach candidate. Where do the Buckeyes go from here? Or is it just ho-hum, we'll reload, we'll be just fine? Yeah, they'll, they'll reload. They're the head and shoulders of the Big Ten, uh, Dean, in terms of when you look at Ohio mm -hmm. State. I mean, is you know, you look at that performance last night. I, again, when they fell behind – uh, 28, 21 to 17, I thought the game plan needed to be slowed down at that point. That was when you realized that Ohio State could not go toe-to-toe -to -toe offensively right. with the Alabama offense, and that's where they needed to slow things down. They gave up the touchdown right before the half, and that really was uh, an opportunity to really close the gap. So, um, you know, when you look at Ohio State, Ryan Day, I mean, as long as he stays, this team is going to be perfect next year. Now, are they going to mm. be as good as maybe they were last year? Possibly. But internally is where they really need to step up. And when you lose players due to COVID like they had issues last night, 13 players didn't play. That affected them, but didn't affect them enough to really challenge Alabama last night. Joe, there's a couple of performances from the Ohio State side of the ball that I want to ask you about, but there's one that I don't get to ask you about, and that's Sermon. I thought Trey Sermon would have had a really nice game here. I, I thought his overs in the props market all might have had some value because of just how integral he has been to this offensive success. You would have lost all of those props, though, not through a bad handicap because he carried the ball once on the first play for Ohio State. And then he left this game. I'm not asking you to invalidate Alabama's win. Nobody's going to do that. But how different of a ball game could this have been if Trey Sermon didn't leave on the very first play of the game? I don't know if it, it would have changed the outcome in any capacity, Kevin. I think maybe the only aspect that it affected was the Ohio State maybe emotion, you know, and, and seeing one of their star players, their best player offensively over the course of the last three weeks go down on the first play of the game. Did they relax and be like, oh, man. But Master Teague was the starting running back at the beginning portion of the season. You know, this was no slouch in terms of his performance. A different type of runner, an A and B type of gap type of runner where he could not catch the perimeter as much as Trey Sermon. He wasn't utilized enough in terms of the short-term intermediate passing game. But that aside, I mean, again, 
when Justin Fields was under pressure in the second half, that was due to the physicality of the defensive front of Alabama. They became one-dimensional because they were taken out of their game plan, and they fell behind. It's one thing that they got the football first, but I thought the play calling in the first three uh, you know, plays of the game by Ryan Day was a little bit tight and predictable, and you cannot do that in terms of national championship games. You need to be able to break tendency in order to win a title. Hey, Joe, we got about a minute till break, but what I've heard you say already is like Alabama will be just fine and they'll run it back next year. Ohio State will be just fine, and as long as Ryan Day is there, they'll be the class of their conference and run it back next year. Next year, the Alabama Crimson Tide are already the favorites to win the national championship at plus 350. Then it's the same names, Joe. Clemson 4-1, to Ohio State 6-1, to Georgia 4-1, to right? Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler at 6-1. to These are all the same names. Is that what we should expect, or do you have any kind of off-the-radar team you want us to keep our eyes on over the summer? I th- Well, if you want to throw a flyer possibly on Texas and Steve Sarkeesian, hmm. but they haven't done it up until this point, guys. I mean, even a West Coast team, you want to go back Keaton Slovis, go ahead. But, you know, there's only about six teams that realistically have a chance at a national championship year to year. We talk about the big four, Georgia and Oklahoma, the two front runners for 2021. All right, fair enough. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep Joe Lisi with us, and we're going to spin it forward a little bit more. Head coaches on the move, draft previews, a lot of stuff to look at because when one college football season's, another one starts. We'll come on right back right here on SportsGrid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line. Dane and Kevin, we got our guy Joe Lisi as well. Big shout out to all of our affiliates, you know, getting the edge, getting the winning edge here on SportsGrid bright and early in the morning. That's what we do here on the early line. Dane Martinez, Kevin Walsh, and we continue to go for the two. We've read the play card. You know, we know we need to go down to 11-point lead, not 12, by the way, guys, if you need to remember that from Pittsburgh and Cleveland over the weekend. But, Joe, now that this is done, the college football season is over, I want to ask you, like, what are the kind of machinations at this part of the year, right? We got a lot of draft prep to think about. The other thing I know is there's a lot of uh, head coaches that are in demand from the college football world, right, that may get interviews, may say, I'm cool, I'm just fine where I am and decline interviews. I'm hearing names like Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. We know about Matt Campbell as well. Who do you think are going to be these hot college coaches that may make the leap to the NFL this offseason? How about your guy, Luke Fickle, right? I'm shocked that he didn't get offered another Power 5 job, but I got a perfect fit for him. How about in Cincinnati? You know, Zach Taylor's still there. That's amazing to me. It really is. I mean, Zach Taylor never gets mentioned in terms of coaches on the hot seat. Conservative type of coach. He has Joe Burrow. Once Joe Burrow went down, it's like he was coaching for, you know, a championship and didn't realize at one point that his team only had about two wins on the season. So Luke Fickle can recruit that area of Ohio. He played there with the Ohio State Buckeyes, was an interim coach when Trestle got 
you know, in trouble with the NCAA right. and, and took that team to six and six overall. So I think Luke Fickle really resembles Matt Campbell and former Baylor coach Matt Rule. So keep an eye out for Matt Campbell on the, excuse me, Luke Fickle on the next level. Well, here's the question around Luke Fickle, Joe. Is, is there a role that this guy coaches Ohio State next year? If Ryan Day makes this jump, these Buckeyes guys, they all seem to be close. They might maybe all talk. Does he maybe sit, uh, you know, on the side and wait to see how things play out with Ryan Day? Give me, give me your best guess here. Does Ryan Day move on? And if so, who's the replacement? No, I don't think Ryan Day moves on. I mean, right now, you know, the one thing that would knock on Ryan Day is in big games, he really doesn't coach out. You know, that's the one thing. Got the victory last week against Clemson, but outside of that, lost the, the victory against Clemson last year. Big Ten championship games, is, his teams have won, but have struggled. So I don't like Ryan Day in terms of being this elite you know, NFL head coach right now. I think if you're looking at the NFL ranks, another offensive-minded coach, Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, the way you see McVay and you see other coaches, uh, you know, move on in terms of the offensive philosophy, you have to look at Lincoln Riley in terms of that. I thought he would be a good fit with Dallas and shocked that they didn't make a bigger push for him over Mike McCarthy. So it's amazing when you look at some of these college coaches. And Urban Meyer will be mentioned as well, guys. I mean, you know, Jacksonville supposedly is putting his staff in place. When you dominate the college ranks, you're going to get a sniff on the NFL level. So Urban Meyer, I think, will be the next college coach that makes makes the jump. Hey, Joe, when you mentioned Lincoln Riley, I don't know if you see a smile creep across Kevin's face because he is certainly entertaining that idea with a new opening with his team, the Philadelphia Eagles. I want to ask you, we bring you on all the time also because you know these guys, you know these college players as we now start heading to things like the Combine and ultimately the draft. And you know, Joe, that I am a Jets fan. The Jets hold number two overall. So I got to take a minute and be selfish and get your insight on something because I have been going back and forth, as you know, on if the Jets should now that it likely won't be Trevor Lawrence, right? The idea of do they take a quarterback who is not Trevor Lawrence or instead, you know, try to continue to get one more shot building around Sam Darnold. So what I want to ask you is this. What is bigger, Joe, the gap between Trevor Lawrence and the rest of the quarterbacks or the gap between Oregon tackle Penny Sewell and the other offensive line prospects in this draft? Because as a Jets fan, I want to know, should I do this at two? And what can I get if I wait until a little bit later in the first round? Is Penny Sewell as dominant as Trevor Lawrence is at his position? I don't think he is. And again, playing in the Pac-12, that's a concern for me because when you have an offensive tackle that dominates at a a level, right, you want him going up against elite defensive tackles, right, That or defensive linemen. And that's the one thing that the Pac-12 hasn't possessed over the last five or six years. So in terms of that type of, you know, technique, yeah, he has great technique. But in terms of going up against elite talent, that would be the knock on Panay Sewell in terms of my opinion. Now, when you look at the quarterbacks overall, I think clearly Trevor Lawrence is the most NFL ready at this point in the season. So in terms of, you know, number one draft pick, I think anybody outside of Lawrence would be a reach in terms of that regard. Justin Fields taking him with a first overall pick. I think he'll resemble what Tua looks like in Miami. Has it not hit the ground running in terms of, you know, igniting that type of offense? So 
I think you could, you know, trade back, get some more quality maybe in the second and third okay. rounds. And if you're the New York Jets, if you don't get a quarterback, let's say, like, uh, you know, a, a Jalen Hurts type of player, it's going to be very difficult to move away from Sam Darnold because of the NFL experience, guys. Right. I mean, if you got a Deshaun Watson, that's one thing. But if you're going sure. to get another marginal quarterback just to fill a need, I don't see it. That's why I'm thinking the best case of action may be to trade down or to get the the tackle, right? But we'll see. There's obviously a lot left there. Sorry to interject there, Kevin. I'm just so excited about these options that the Jets may have, right? But go ahead. (laughs) Well, no, but I think one of the interesting things, though, is when we talk about these options and you talk about Penny Sewell, there are three guys that you will often see mocked somewhere in the top eight, Joe, that didn't play this past season. Mika Parsons, Penny Sewell, and Jamar Chase. And people think that Penny Sewell might be, you know, the best player in this class, regardless of position. People think that Jamar Chase might be the best wide receiver in this class that features the Heisman Trophy winner from the wide receiver position. And people think Mika Parsons might be the best defensive player in this class. How much, if at all, does this year not providing any film for those three guys ding their stock when we talk about the draft? Well, I think, you know, you look at Micah Parsons with Penn State, the one thing that you want to be able to see is progression, right? He dominated back in uh, 2019 for Penn State. Now a year off, what does that do? You always want to see linebackers, especially edge type of rushers, develop. And that's not what he did last year, right? He took a season off, works on technique. That's going to be a different, you know, assessment for Micah Parsons. But Jamar Chase, for me, I think won't miss a beat. I mean, here's the thing, and that I, you know, the uh, the challenge that I brought up to a lot of people. Everybody talks about Devontae Smith's numbers heading into the national championship game. Jamar Chase had better numbers than Devontae Smith last year. Averaged more yards per carry, 21.2, 20 touchdowns, less receptions. He was more explosive and didn't get a sniff of the Heisman Trophy last year. Think about that for a second. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy when we talk about the evolution of this talent, especially with some of these all-time kind of SEC offenses that we have been seeing in recent years. You know, Joe, I don't know when the next time I'm going to be able to talk to you and push your brain on this, but as we close the 2020 college football season, what are some of the lessons learned? I mean, this was a very unique year, right? And we are seeing things in almost every sport that the sport is thinking about you know, running back for the following year in Major League Baseball, they're considering things like the DH and expanded playoffs, right? There's lessons learned. So what do you think may stick from this college football season? Are teams like your power, um, your, your group of five teams going to start scheduling differently because they realize they got no chance to crack the playoff? Are we going to see anything different, you know, in terms of expansion of the playoffs? Are there anything, any lessons learned here from this, you know, very unique COVID pandemic college football season we have had. What'd you take away from it? Yeah, I mean, it's twofold, guys. I mean, one is definitely, I think, the college football expansion's on the horizon, right? You saw the dominance by Cincinnati and their regular season run and how they challenged Georgia in the ball game. The talk is going to be there because I think people are, will get tired of seeing Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State in recent years. How big is the expansion, though? Is it going to be eight? Is it going to be 12? Will it be 24? That's the biggest thing for college football. The other thing, too, was 
fans, fans matter. We saw mm. no field, home field advantage this year, you know, with some of the elite programs in college football, Penn State, Michigan. I mean, laying eggs at home and getting blown out. That type of atmosphere matters in college football. And I think, you know, depending upon the crowd size in 2021, if it's limited again, you can have a lot of underdogs really upset because you look at the just the gambling perspective, underdogs barked all season long, guys. Joe, quickly before we get you out of here, Bill O'Brien reported to get this offensive coordinator position at Alabama. This is a guy who is almost hard to evaluate because what he did as a GM was so awful, maybe clouded his abilities as a head coach. He did have success uh, while in Houston. What are your thoughts on Bill O'Brien coming to the college game uh, and taking that OC job? Yeah, well, he he coached up Christian Hackenberg, right? But I will say this. Prior to Bill O'Brien, Lane Kiffin was there. Brian Dable, the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, was the offensive coordinator in Alabama. It's almost like a rehab house in terms of, you know, coaching, you know, getting these guys back on track. So that's what led to Steve Sarkeesian getting the Texas job. So I'm sure Bill O'Brien will be in uh, head coach in college football probably within three years. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, Joe. It seems to be like an express pipeline back to a prominent role. Well, thank you again for spending a couple of minutes with us on the early line. You know, every time we need something about college football, the combine, the draft, we'll be certainly to hit you up, Joe. Anytime, guys. Absolutely. When we come back, you may have not been paying attention, but there's been moves in Major League Baseball recently. We got to reset the deck and the hot stove when we come back on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the winning edge on SportsGrid. I'm Dan Martinez, my main man, as always, Kevin Walsh. We're breaking it all down. Joe Lisi was just on, giving us insight not only for the national championship game, but college coaches that might be on the move, and even a little bit of a look at what these players may look like at the next level. Remember, this, you know, the calendar continues to turn in the sports world, right? So after this national championship, some of these coaches are going to be on the move. We're going to start to hear about these players in like you know t-shirts and shorts in the combine and then how they stack up for the draft and we will be here to cover it all spring long here on sports good giving you the winning edge kev remember last year although it was in the throes of the pandemic the nfl draft market had a ton of action so many props so many ways to make some money and they were the only game in town so people were ready to invest on the mm-hmm. draft we'll have joe lisi and giving us insights the whole way down there yeah, I'll tell you this right now, and I love Joe, but I don't know how many people out there can give you any kind of insight. Like today, right? Like if they posted oh, those today, markets, sure. we have so many question marks, but that's what makes it fun. But we have the first and the second pick 
needing to figure out their head coach situation. We mm-hmm. have the third pick looking to get wild and maybe yeah. move off of a quarterback, maybe take a left tackle, maybe take the Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, and and that's just the first three picks. This NFL draft is going to be really, really fun to break down and follow and watch how these things move. And and I'll say this, and you know, and we'll talk a little bit more about this stuff probably in hour number two. But this NFL offseason, and I and I might probably say this every year just because I love off seasons. I like player movement. <laughs> I like when things get wild. Yeah. But this offseason, if you really want to get a sense for how nuts this is, try and predict all. 32 teams starting quarterback going into next year and have fun with that exercise and see if you don't give up 20 minutes in. Yeah, listen, I remember, and you say you almost say this every year, I remember last year when we were talking about maybe the biggest quarterback carousel of all time with Hall of Fame quarterbacks changing destinations, right? Tom Brady, Mm -hmm. Phillip Rivers, Cam Newton changing, right? And that was hot and heavy, but we're going to do it again, and you're absolutely right. Uh, You talk about teams at the very top. Don't forget about teams like Detroit, Atlanta, who are turning the page on their leadership and may even turn the page on franchise quarterbacks. But there will be plenty of time to talk about that what i want to do here kev is also get you caught up on some of the stuff going on in major league baseball kevin because i think that is interesting we are in the hot stove season but you know the nfl is king and college football we've been talking about the late start of the nba has grabbed the attention of the sports fan right and so you almost forget that Major League Baseball is out there in what we usually call the hot stove. And at least here in New York, billionaire new owner Cohen is finally made his first big splash move, right? The New York Mets last week made a big-time trade. We all knew that this player was likely on the move, but Cleveland... I don't know if we even call them anymore. The Cleveland baseball team has traded their shortstop, their all-star shortstop Francisco Landor and Carlos Carrasco, who I think is a very interesting part mm-hmm. of this as well, to the New York Metropolitans, Ahmed Rosario, and a couple of prospects go back. This was one of the big fish of the winter, right? One of the big dominoes to fall. Francisco Lindor is going to the Mets. And I got to tell you, Kev, I think the Mets are, you know, going to follow through on some of their demands with their or promises with the new owner. They're going to spend and they want to be competitive right now. How do you think this fit is for Lindor and Carrasco? In New York. Well, I think for the Mets, at the end of the day, you had ownership come in, promise you a big move, and they delivered. And that has to be the most refreshing thing in the world. Because the Mets often find themselves entering, and we know this being here in New York, and Mets fans know this too. They enter the offseason, they go, oh, we need one of three, and then they never get him, right? And, it, and even sometimes when they get a guy, like they ended up with Jed Lowry. And then the Yankees that same offseason ended up with DJ LeMahieu. And at the time, like you saw the Lowry contract, you saw the LeMahieu contract, and you were like, ah, eh, probably some better value there for DJ, but all in all, it's a wash. DJ LeMahieu goes on to get MVP votes, and Jed Lowry never even plays basically right. for the Mets. So the fact that the Mets got a player of Lindor's level. And you don't want to ever call anybody a sure thing because baseball is a weird sport. Sometimes these guys fall off cliffs. I don't know. But Lindor is a young star in this league. And that's incredibly important. And you mentioned Carrasco, and I think there's a perfect analogy for Carlos Carrasco. When the Spurs traded Kawhi to the Toronto Raptors, randomly in that deal, the Raptors added Danny Green. 
And I remember a lot of people, how did you just get Danny Green as a throw-in? He's an NBA right. champion, played monster minutes in the NBA finals throughout his Robert tenure. Ory. That's a starter. <laughs> and all this, no, but all of a sudden, like you look yep. at that Raptors team that year, and Danny Green yep. was an important piece of that puzzle. And I don't, I'm not telling you that the Mets are going to go out there and win a World Series, but Carrasco being a footnote on the Lindor trade, that's the kind of win that the Mets needed, right? In the, you think about it, compare it to that Cano move where the hmm. guy they were really trading for, Edwin Diaz, was the footnote on Cano because Cano was the superstar. Right, right. Like now this, this turns into a young star bat and a quality arm who doesn't need to be your one or doesn't even need to be your two, maybe doesn't even need to be your three. It's a great right. move for, for the Mets, and it's something that they should be pumped about. No, I like that. And to your point about Carrasco, right, he will log innings for this squad and maybe moving to the National League is even easier. Remember also Syndergaard is not, I don't think, going to be up at the very beginning of the season uh, with his injuries. So, you know, having an arm like Carrasco to add, and I don't think the Mets are done. And to that point, there are still big names out there, Kev. You know, there's like $200 million names still out there. George Springer, DJ LeMayhew, among them we're hearing a lot of things about Springer here in New York we're hearing a lot of things about DJ LeMayhew here in New York but one of the things Kev is the idea that you know LeMayhew and the Yankees may not necessarily be seeing eye to eye and there is still a gap so much so that LeMayhew is now saying or his representation what have you it's being reported that LeMayhew is now going to re-engage with other suitors, you know, teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Blue Jays, you know, I don't know if the Mets are still involved now that they got Lindor, right, in that infield, but some of the other big boys who are ready to spend cash are going to come knocking on DJ LeMahieu's door. How do you think that, or even George Springer kind of pans out? Because we are in the time where the dominoes are going to start to fall. Pitchers and catchers report for duty in a mere month. So... Springer, I know a lot of Mets fans have their eyes on as the final piece. And I think Springer would be great for them uh, because Springer, along with Correa, really uh, took that leadership role for that Astros team as, as they battled through the controversy uh, right. that they put themselves in and really have nobody to blame but themselves. But at the end of the day, they did need to, you know, kind of step up and put the, you know, whether it be the smile or an evil smile on, whatever it was, they needed people <laughs> to, you know, rally around. And Springer and Correa felt like those two guys. Uh, and all of a sudden, if that Mets team, you know, has the best pitcher in the world in Jacob deGrom, right? Uh, and then a guy like Lindor, who yeah. is a superstar talent, Pete Alonso uh, coming, uh, you oh, know, yeah. as out of the gate as that rookie. Jeff McNeil almost won the batting title. Started. Michael Conforto a couple right. years ago was thought about as a hot star on the rise. They've, they've got talent. J.D. Davis. Like, they've got talent on that mm -hmm. offense. They have the horses and the arms, right? On paper, it is starting to look yeah. pretty good in Queens. Right. And, and that's why. And even if they don't land Springer, and that's the move that, that they really want, but they can still be pleased by their offseason. As far as DJ LeMahieu goes, Dana, I wonder, yeah. you know, Yankees fans for a long time, it was spend, spend, spend. And then there was that transition period where the Yankees were going to pull back. They were going to be smarter. They were going to retool the farm system. And they had as quick and as an effective of a rebuild as any organization could imagine. 
all of a sudden there's young star after young star on the roster. They send Chapman out to right. bring in Glaber and Chapman's back yeah, yeah, yeah. in a hiccup. Like it, they've they've done everything the right way. And then this offseason, they you know, they spend, they pay the toll for Garrett Cole, no issues there. Now they fall short of what they wanted to achieve uh, this year. Uh, they lose to the Rays, they lose in five. It's tough, right? But as far as DJ LeMayhew goes and possibly losing that talent, it just starts to ask the question then, you know, for the Yankees, will they ever be at that level where they're willing to spend with that level of consistency that they once were? Because there's a lot of times fans get caught up about money spent. There's no salary cap in baseball. I could care less how much money the Yankees spend, right? When it, when you talk hmm. about Dan, we talk about the Eagles or the Jets. You you got to be smart about. It. I don't need to be smart about anything here. If I if I'm a Yankee fan, it's not my money, and there's no cap. Right. DJ LeMay, who's been far too important to that team to let walk, and I think if he ends up playing for a different team, and the Yankees yep. don't have some kind of backup plan, and some thought that Lindor would have been the backup plan, right? It might be a tough pill to swallow for the Bronx. Yeah, that's true. You know, other backup plans include moving Glaber to second base and going after guys like Didi Gregorius to bring him back. Angleton Simmons is also out there. Um, I do want to make another point. You talked about Springer and Correa as it related to the Astros scandal, right? That kind of went under the radar because of the pandemic. What also may be under the radar, if you're not paying attention to Major League Baseball, is another potential scandal, Kev. Did you see this? Former Angels clubhouse attendant Bubba Harkins is starting to talk, okay? And he is saying that back in the Today, Angels closer Troy Percival taught him how to make, you know, uh, a substance, shall we say, a little bit of rosin, a little bit of, you know, whatever it is, right? And um, this was, in essence, the pitcher's answer to steroids. On the other side, on the offensive side, they could get a better grip on the ball, be able to do more things on the ball. And we've seen the idea of spin rate recently, right? And with that grip, you're able to get more spin rate and even just be straight more effective. And he is dropping names, big time names, Kev. Everybody from Garrett Cole to Justin Verlander, a lot of pitchers, big time pitchers over the last 10, 15 years that this guy Bubba is saying, yeah, they were doctoring the baseball. I had the sticky stuff for them. They are now in a sticky situation. What do you think about this? And why are we not talking about this at all? I don't know. I guess people are just tired of this whole ba- all baseball when it comes think to so? cheating, not cheating, weird rules. I, I mean, ba- like again, baseball's it's this this wild world of unwritten rules and uh, you know backdoor handshakes, and uh, you can do this, but you can't do this. You can all right. Well, if you do it this way, it's fine. But if you do it that way, it's not. And I, I think there's almost just this fatigue of it all. And and the other reason, too, is it's baseball. I mean, let's just be honest here, right? Hmm. Francisco Lindor got moved. There was no thought process that this needed to lead a show. It's, it's where baseball finds itself. They're, they're, it, it just, it's never going to be the top story, and it allows things like this to somewhat fall by the wayside, I guess. And it's what makes baseball just so odd at times you know and i'll just say like we were watching that nickelodeon broadcast for the nfl and there was this thought process like you think base yeah for you think you think that baseball could you know use something like this to try and that that youth movement that and it's so crazy like yeah they're gonna need to you know have slime cannons when tatis is home run (laughs) baseball's just in a weird spot man 
Now I hear you. Maybe they'll have online gaming terminals at the stadium and that can build the interest. Governor Cuomo seems to think that can come to New York as well. Trevor Bauer had a lot to say, and yet he's still out there on this idea of increasing spring rate. Remember, he's been throwing shade about that the entire time. We wrap up our number one after this right here. Come on back. Get the winning. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh. Big shout out to all of our listeners and viewers, including Sirius Channel 204. Kev, there's been a lot of news here around kind of like the government this week in the last couple of weeks. And I know uh, we are a sports show, but I did want to mention to you one of the implications in the sports world about what we're seeing, you know, some of the stuff that happened at the Capitol. Uh, Did you see this, Kev? The PGA Tour. Uh, The golf, the PGA Mm. Tour has decided to, in essence, cut ties with President Trump. And one of the ways that is happening is the 2022 PGA Championship was scheduled to be played at one of Trump's courses, Bedminster, I believe, in New Jersey. And they're saying, no, that's not good for our brand anymore. And so it looks like they are moving on. You know, interesting (laughs) kind of, again, we talk about the power that athletes have had kind of when it was social justice, whether it was names, whether it was, you know, protesting like the Confederate flag and things of that nature. Business is also still here, right? Remember when the Washington football team was going through drama, it was when the title sponsors of the damn stadium said something that they were like, oh yeah, 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 we got to probably do something about this name. And now the PGA is a big business that is kind of following the trend, putting distance between them and the president. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. The jig is up. He's done. And people are going to now make decisions that they were too scared to make previously. It's what it is, right? I mean, we're just we're just, just being honest about it, right? If if he was reelected, PGA probably doesn't make this decision. So you will now see a brand like that or other brands make decisions that again in the past. They were too fearful to make, right? Remember the whole NFL was worried about kind of what he would say, and that was the whole issue when it came to kneeling and things of that nature. But, look, you said it. Athletes have power. Athletes have a voice. You know, Bill Belichick ultimately just turned down accepting the Medal of Freedom. The Medal of Freedom as well. And, you know, you said if if 45 didn't get elected. I think if he didn't get elected – but then there wasn't what happened last Wednesday. They still be, may be a little bit more comfortable with his name on the brand. We'll ask our guy Cam Stewart about this tomorrow as long as all the golf. Hour number two in the NFL is up next. <laughs> 